Hey, let me, uh, let me encourage you with something uh, that I'd like for you to consider trying tonight is that we believe here that truth is not something that's discovered because you're an intellectual genius uh, or that I'm a phenomenal speaker. We both rock. But that, uh, that the Holy Spirit reveals truth. It's a revelation. And so uh, I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit doesn't operate in the categories that you necessarily want him to. And so he may speak to you through a song, through a testimony that you may hear tonight, through the word, or through some other random means. So I encourage you to have a pen with you. I also encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, that you grab one of the Bibles that are in the back uh, because we are using the word of God as our guide. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that Bible with you. Or if you don't have a Bible that you feel comfortable writing in, take one of ours and uh, write all over it, okay? Uh, Just talk to the Lord in it. But uh, I encourage you to scribble down what the Lord is going to show you tonight and maybe what you're going to take out of here and continue to deal with him because we are the church. We're not just a bunch of people going to church. So with that said, I need a reader. Does anybody want to volunteer to come up and read for us tonight? I promise you it's not a bunch of begots and names from the Bible that you can't pronounce. So come on, who's bold? I can wait. How long y'all want to be here tonight? Uh, Look, give a hand, please. You can use my Bible. But first, you have to introduce yourself. Um, my name is Lindsay Anderson. And she is married to? Russell Anderson. Who's not here tonight, he's although nice. he's leading the trip to Ukraine. Yeah. All right. Okay, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. So turn to your, uh, in your Bibles there and start with verse 5 and... Um, and read through verse 10. Okay? But hang on. Is everybody there? Do we have a page number for people that have the house Bible? 672. 672. Okay, Lindsay? And when you pray... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Uh, This is Jesus, and his disciples have asked him, how do you pray? And we're in a series on prayer, so we thought we would find out what Jesus has to say about it since he was Jesus. And Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, let's stop right there. I want you to hear two things. One is, Jesus is saying there's a reward to prayer. I don't know if that gets you excited, but I love reward. All right? And the second thing that he just said is that God knows everything you're going to pray before you pray it. Just jot that down. We're going to talk about it in a second. Go ahead. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. You're great. You know, thank you. She did a great job. I stopped you because we're going to get to the bread stuff in a week or so, okay? But this week, uh, we've worked our way through our Father, uh, who aren't in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or holy is your name. And this week, uh, we talk about thy kingdom come. Now remember, 
what Jesus just said about prayer is pretty remarkable. That uh, our Father rewards us in prayer, but he also knows what we're going to pray before we pray it. And as I thought about this this week, thy kingdom come, you know, do we really have the power to pray that that would be a reality? Think about that. God, we pray that your kingdom would come. I mean, this, I got to be honest with you, it kind of seems like a ridiculous prayer to me. It's kind of like if I ask all of you to pray with me, let's all reach our hands in the direction of Los Angeles, and let's all pray together that the L.A. Lakers would win the NBA championship. Well, (laughs) sorry, Mark, they already won it. For those of you that don't know anything about basketball, they've already won it, so it'd be kind of foolish for us to think about praying for something that's already a reality. And, you know, if we went to Vegas and we tried to put our money down, give me L.A. to win, uh, they would laugh us out of the building because even the guys in Vegas know that something that has already happened, you can't bet on, much less pray to become a reality. You tracking with me? Because isn't God already king? I mean, isn't a kingdom all the land and the area and the place that a king rules over? And isn't God already king of heaven and earth? Isn't he the one that rules over all of his creation, all of the universes? Don't we know that he's already uh, created the stars and he's named each one by name? Isn't that already his kingdom? You know, it's this kind of stuff, and I'm just going to be honest with you about, just, is prayer hard for you? Is, is prayer something that you really struggle to understand, much less make it a major part of your life? Because it's one of those things in Christianity where you feel like it ought to be, like, huge. You know, it's one of those oughts and shoulds, you know, that we kind of step in and get all over our shoe and it just makes the day horrible. Is that one of these big shoulds is that I should be a prayer warrior, did y'all, ever, did y'all grow up in a church where that was like a banner? Become a prayer warrior? I don't know what that is. You know, maybe practicing karate while you prayed or something. I don't know. But, you know, it should. And if you're like me, we get stuck. We kind of get, we kind of live in this land of do I pray? Well, yeah, we pray before we eat. And, you know, and, you know, the Lord and I talk. And, you know, I, I, I like to think that when I sing you know, Tom Petty, that that's prayer for me, you know, free fall. <laughs> you know, we have all these things, but it kind of is in this, this middle ground of, well, not really. And so we kind of live in this should, and, and prayer is one of those things in the Bible, it's kind of like jello, you know, that it's hard to really get a grip on because the harder you squeeze, the more it squishes through your fingers. Or better yet, it's kind of like Chinese food, you know, that you're, you're starving and you go eat Chinese food, and what happens? A few minutes later, you're starving again. What else is it like, Dave? <laughs> Dave has all these comparisons. Well, so track with me just for a minute, because I, I, want, to, I, I want to light a fuse on this huge, giant bottle rocket that we're sitting on right now. Oswald Chambers one of my heroes, he says this. He says, immediately we look at these words of Jesus and we find them the most revolutionary statement 
human ears ever listen to. <laughs> what? We must be reading different stuff. Well, he takes us from thy kingdom come to these words of Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God. And he says this, we argue in exactly the opposite way. Even the most spiritually minded of us, we say, but I must live. I must make some, so much money. I must be clothed. I must be fed. The great concerns of our lives is not the kingdom of God, but how we are to fit ourselves to live. And Jesus, this is what Chambers says, he reverses the order. When we step through the door of prayer that we've been talking about and we step into the journey of divine, be prepared to be turned on your head. Because when we step behind that, the Lord says what's valued in this world isn't valued in his world. In his kingdom, he takes our paradigms and he flips them upside down. That's why Jesus said, seek first. Above everything else, seek first the kingdom of God. That sounds like, okay, and then jump over the Grand Canyon. Doesn't it seem impossible? But Jesus is saying that it's possible that we can come into an experience with the divine that flips our paradigm around. In Luke chapter 12, you can go read this later, Jesus is talking to his disciples, which were many, and he said, don't be afraid, little flock, or little children. He says, it pleases God to give you his kingdom. It's beautiful how he's just kind of comforting these disciples that were worrying. And he says, it pleases the Father to give you the kingdom. And in this comfort, in this very tender moment where they're just like, oh, thank you, Jesus, you know, I just need comfort. Then he says, now go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Wait a minute. Did that just seem outrageous to you? That when Jesus flips our paradigm, he calls us out and challenges us to do something that is radical. And it's crazy because what Jesus is saying in this prayer and what he's saying to us tonight is if you are willing to step through the door of prayer into this paradigm of the kingdom of God, then that experience is going to bring you to a radical life. Just fair warning. You remember the scene from uh, The Matrix where Neo touches the mirror? And then, you know, it just becomes liquid mercury and comes up his arm and then down his throat. And what was going on there? He was being awakened to a reality that he didn't even know existed. This was beyond the scope of anything that he ever could have conceived. So what's going on with Jesus? Is Jesus Neo? Yes. In a kind of, no, kidding. He is Morpheus. No. Sorry. Luke chapter 12, if we follow it all the way down after he says, sell everything and give it to the poor, <clears throat> live our lives with a singular focus to the kingdom, we go, what is that about? Like, really, is he saying that we should do that? He says this. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he's giving us a clue about what's going on here because Jesus is talking about something greater than religion, greater than something that you can do, greater than a list, a checklist of what you're going to do when you leave this place. He's talking about a journey into our hearts that's going to captivate us. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus takes it a step further and he says to the Pharisees, 
He says, the kingdom of God is within you. Or your translation may say, it's among you. Or it's here. Because what Jesus was saying is, look, I've arrived. And where I've arrived, the kingdom of God has arrived. He was establishing a new kingdom. And it really was a redemptive kingdom. Because Christ came to claim his kingdom. He came to purchase his kingdom out of slavery. He came to bring his, what we talked about about a month ago, he went into the valley of bones and he spoke to the bones and he said, rise up. And he was calling an army to his kingdom of dead people that he's now making alive. And what's remarkable about this is that this isn't a kingdom of movements to take over the world. Have you ever been a part of something that people are trying to convince you that this is going to change the world? You know, some kind of brilliant spiritual experience that if you can have this experience that is going to change you forever. Several years ago, um, some of us were up in New York City and I went to uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. Have any of y'all ever been there? It rocks, doesn't it? <clears throat> I mean, you, it, this experience is unlike any. You have to wait outside for about an hour. The line wraps all the way around the block. Once you get in, it's just... It's just every creed and race that you can possibly imagine. And then the choir comes out, and it's about a 200-person choir. And they are just, you know, man, they are bringing the house down. And then Jim Cimbala comes out and starts preaching, and he's got a hanky, and he's sweating, you know. And he's just, it's happening, and, and two hours go by like that. It was, it was an amazing experience. That's not what we're talking about tonight. Any more than we're talking about that this kingdom is a kingdom of ideas and religious philosophies. That's not what we're talking about. That if you can just get smart enough, if you can go to enough schools, if you can just get your theology right, then you're part of the kingdom. Now, this kingdom is a kingdom of of a relationship. Let me explain. Paul understood this to the depth where Paul said, I consider everything in his life a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom sake I've lost all things. He said, I consider everything in my life rubbish in comparison of knowing Jesus. And Jesus was coming, coming to establish a redemptive kingdom that was based on a relationship. Like, have you ever been in love? Seriously, think about that just for a minute. Like, I'm not talking about, you know, that the first girl you kissed, you know, or the first guy you kissed back in fifth grade. I'm talking about that kind of love where your heart jumps when you see their name on the, on the phone. Or you can't be without them. You know, you say all that mushy stuff when they're out of town. Oh, I miss you. I miss you too. I miss you. You hang up first. No, you hang up. You know, that kind of love. That's weird, isn't it? I've been married for 22 years. And here's what's a remarkable thing about when you know somebody. Uh, If Renee was to call me, she's not here tonight. She's with our 21-year-old baby who just had his tonsils taken out. We've been nurturing him back to life. And, uh, and she, uh, if she called me right now and I answered the phone, and others who have been married for many years, you can attest to this, all she has to do is say the first two or three words, and I can tell you what's going on with her. 
I can tell you if she's a good mood, bad mood, if there's a crisis at the house or if she's just calling to kill time or, you know, if she wants me to rush home because she wants to go on a date. I can, I, all within the first three or four words. Can anybody testify that that's true? Okay, here's, let me tell you another weird thing. I can be at a party and she can be on the other side of the room and she can say my name to somebody and I'll hear it. Can any of y'all attest that? Oh, and then there's the cross-party look, all right? I mean, I can tell you when she is ready to go. And the problem is that she can't tell when I'm ready to go because I'm always ready to go before she's ready to go. And so it becomes this power struggle of trying to get her to the car, you know? But I can look across the room, and we know each other. And you guys, how many of you find that impossible to believe? Let me tell you what's impossible to believe. That people can say, I follow Jesus Christ and yet not know him that way. How can you not know the voice of your Savior? How can you not know when he speaks? How do you not know when he's leading? How can you not know when he's beckoning you unto himself? How can we go through life and say, Christianity is about a personal relationship with God, and yet God is about as impersonal as just words on a page that bore us out of our minds and prayer is a burden that I just don't want to carry anymore. How is that possible unless we have taken what we've talked about here for years and we've converted it into all Christianity is is an experience. Come on, Midtown, give me an experience. Play the music I like. Say what I like when you preach. Oh, tell another joke. Give me an experience. Or we take Christianity and we convert it into this intellectual. Well, if I just read more books or if I just knew the right answer. And yet... All that Christ is doing when he's establishing his kingdom is he's bringing us into relationship with him. And get this, he used, when he talks about his relationship with us, he calls us his bride. That's the illustration that he uses to explain our relationship with him. We are his betrothed. We are his beloved. We are the ones that he is goo-goo over. It's so hard to believe, isn't it? I did a wedding yesterday. And I, I've said this before. The best place to look when the bride's coming down the aisle, you'll get lots of chances to see her when she gets up front. Just watch the groom's face because she is never more beautiful all during the ceremony than she is right there in his face. Because that's love. And you are never more beautiful than you are in the face of your groom who loves you. And gave everything so that we could walk that aisle. But if you don't know that look, then your Christianity has become nothing but stale, lifeless, boring information and duty that I do every Sunday so that I can say I went to church. But man, when we are experiencing God, man, imagine a couple saying, you know, we got married last week and we had to go on a honeymoon. We went to Hawaii. It was such a drag. So why do we pray something that's already a reality and something that God seems to have under control pretty well? If we can't change a reality, then maybe what Jesus is saying to us is that this reality changes us. So let me run through a couple things that I think it means, and maybe you can be encouraged by this. Because the lover of your soul is courting you. 
And I believe he is calling you out of the stale doldrums into the dynamic divine and turning your paradigm upside down because when I pray thy kingdom come, the first thing I'm praying is your kingdom comes in me. I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you. Isn't that what you say to somebody that you're in love with? I want to see you. I got to see you. Next week, we're going to be talking about not my will be done, but your will be done. And we're going to talk about the journey of abandoning myself to God's will in my life. And we're going to try to unpack this whole idea of beginning to understand that everything in my life I receive from him. That's hard. That I abandon myself to receive all circumstances is from a loving father that's working all things for my good. All the joy, all the struggle, all the pain, all the events, and all the circumstances, but not the conditions. Because what I believe and what scripture teaches is that when I begin to receive all those things from the Lord, it changes my condition. Because it changes me into a place to where I begin to trust. But before I can abandon myself to the one that says, hey, jump, I'll catch you, I have to see him. I mean, imagine yourself in a burning building and you, and you hear this voice saying, we're all down here with nets, just jump and we'll save you. But you can't see anything. What do you say? <laughs> hey, come out where I can see you. Then I might jump. And then when we see the net and we see all the trained firemen, you know, then then maybe at that moment we'll let go of our release on a burning building and we'll give ourselves over to those that came to rescue us. Well, the same is with the Lord. He's saying jump. So what do we need before we jump? We need to see, and prayer is seeing God. This week we had a bunch of my friends on our back porch and we were talking about this journey. And we were talking about what is the simplest prayer? You know, prayer sometimes can get so confusing. Where do I just start? And we were saying, yeah. We came up with one and we said, that's it. Where we joined with David and we said, Lord, just show me your beauty. Will you just show me your beauty? Show me. Reveal yourself to me. Because when we see, it changes everything. Last summer, uh, I was in Chicago and had a chance to hear Jessica uh, Jackley speak. I don't know if you know her. She was the co-founder of Kiva, which is a uh, micro-lending business. Uh, what she did was, when she graduated from college, her and some friends did some world traveling, and they met some uh, folks in a third-world country. They were farmers, and they believed that if they had a truck, if they could get a truck, then they could get their produce to the market better and make a greater profit and have an improved life. And so they came home and they got all their friends together and said, hey, we're raising $1,000 to buy these guys a truck. And the reason that they did that is because they saw the farmers. They stepped into their story. And when they stepped into their story, they took ownership for their story and they cared. Well, they bought the truck and it changed this, these farmers' lives. And they began to think, hey, maybe this is a transferable principle. Maybe if other people could see, they would invest so they partnered with micro-lending businesses all over the world, really. These are businesses that take poor people, they train them in business, they give them a business loan, and then they help them launch a business to work their way out of poverty. The problem is, is that these, these micro-lending businesses are short on funds. 
So she started a website where you can go to the country of your choice and you can actually select by picture and story the entrepreneur that you want to invest in. And then you can invest in their business and track what's going on with their business. Because she believed if you could see, then you would be in. Well, it was started back in 2004. Uh, it worked. They've invested $143 million in micro-businesses in the last six years. These are college students that started this. They're in 119 countries. And guess what? This is a beautiful thing, the power of seeing. Do you know what the repay rate is? Because this isn't giving, this is lending. And when you lend, you get paid back. Who gets paid back? Well, 98.2% of the people that lend get paid back. That's almost 100% payback on $143 million. <laughs> okay. We can talk about this all night, but I need to jump ahead because what if we're not seeing God? She just showed us the power of seeing. When we see, we see beauty, and when we see beauty, we are transformed. What if I'm not seeing him? What do I see? You know, in the Old Testament, the Israelites came to Samuel, and they said, hey, we are surrounded by nations that have kings. And those kings have armies, and those armies have soldiers, and they have sharp little things called spears. We need a king. And Samuel said, you don't need a king. God said, you don't need a king. And they said, no, 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 we need a king. We need a king. So Samuel came to God and said, God, I failed you. They want a king. You said, no, king. And he said, no, they didn't. you're not failing, Samuel, because it's me that they're not believing in. So you go and tell them, I'm going to give them a king. But you need to tell them what a king is like. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to count I'm about to read for you what God was describing a king was to Israel. And I want you to count how many times you hear the word take. Are you with me? This is where y'all respond back. Are y'all with me? All right, thank you. All right, here we go. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And we're starting around verse 11. If you want to write that down and look at it later. This is the word of the Lord to the prophet Samuel. This is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Easy targets. That's not in there. Verse 12. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to take weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to the attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your maidservants and men servants and the best of your cattle and donkey, he, donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flock and you yourself will become his slaves. And when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. And the Lord will not answer you on that day. How many times was it in there? Here's all I want you to hear is this. If you are not seeing the Lord, you have set your eyes on another king. And the king that you have set your eyes on, he will come into your life and he will take. 
because that's what a king does of this kingdom. He takes. What's the paradigm? The Lord says, know me. Because the God that we serve is not a God who takes. He's a God that gives. And I've got a ton of kings in my life that when I pray, thy kingdom come, Lord, let your kingdom come in me, it first exposes the kings that are already reigning in my heart. Like my reputation. Or like what people think about me. Man, that's a huge king. The other day, I'm nursing a knee injury. Just need to qualify that because I was on the track over at Litscomb on Saturday and I was power walking because I can't run, you know. And uh, this lady ran past me. She was about 70. And uh, she had knee braces on both knees. I mean, man, she was huffing it, you know. And she came by me and kind of gave me a shoulder. I tripped her. We got in a brawl right there in the... No, I'm kidding. But when she ran past me, I had this urge. This is so ridiculous. I had this urge. I looked around because she just blew past me, all right, 70. And I just had this urge to, I wanted her to understand, hey, I got a knee injury. Or I'd be burning up the course with you. You wouldn't even come close. Why? What is that in us? What people think can be such a cruel king in our lives. Or money, that we believe that, that really money, if I just had money, if I just had enough. How about free time? Or how about entertainment? Man, I'm telling you, entertainment is an awesome king. But the sad thing about the king, the king of entertainment is when he takes, all he leaves in his wake is boredom. Or experiences. That's a pretty good king. Adventures. Or I love this one. How about getting in shape? And you know what's great about that king is that you don't have to be in shape for that to be your king. Like you can live in constant shame of yourself as devotion to the king of getting in shape. You know, I'm so disgusted with me. Please, king, understand I am so disgusted with me. King of getting in shape. See, these can all be great things at certain times in our lives, but they all make lousy kings. Because listen what our king is, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, or 6 through 9. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. What did he just say? He wants to show you, he wants you to see the incomparable that, that word incomparable is pretty big, all right? That means you've got nothing to compare it with. Incomparable riches of his grace. That God wants you to see riches. And how are they expressed? Look in the next sentence. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So he is the king that comes to give, that comes to serve, that comes to love with riches and kindness for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift from your king, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. We're the fruit of his labor. We are the recipients of what he has done. Well, when he reigns over me and he gives me courage to put down my other kings, and I have the courage to see him and say, Lord, I want to see your beauty, Ah. Uh, 
something happens. It's not boring. It gets pretty, uh, pretty dynamic. Because when I begin to see him, something happens in this paradigm shift is that it gives me courage, courage to live. In uh, Matthew 25, there's a story that Jesus tells about these three servants that the king came to each one and he gave them money. For He gave five talents to one of them. He gave two talents to another. And he gave one to the third. And he went on a long trip. And he left. And the first guy with five talents, man, started a business. And I think it was a brewery or something like that. And then he made a ton of money. And then the, the second guy, he started another business. And I don't know what it was. You make it up. He didn't tell us. And he made a bunch of money too. But the third guy took his money and he went and he buried it in the ground. Now, you know, a traditional understanding of this parable, and maybe you've heard this before, is that when God gives you something, you better get busy and do something with it because he's coming back and we don't want him to be disappointed. Oh, such a burden. Stay on your vacation. Don't come back. But that's not what we see at all. What we see is the first guy who got five talents. You see this guy giddy with excitement. Because the king that loves him and he loves the king in return gave him something and said, go have fun with it. He didn't put any conditions on it. He just said, hey, man, go and celebrate. Live in that. Do what you've been dreaming to do. See, even when the king came back, he said to these two guys, he said, come into the happiness of your king. And I would bet that they were already in the happiness of their king. He was just stating the obvious because they had celebrated it. But the third guy, he buried it. And the king said, why didn't you just put that in the bank and just get interest? What was going on? Why would this guy bury money in the ground instead of putting it in the bank and getting 5%? Unless he was betting that the king wasn't coming back. Because that's what he was doing. Because if the king doesn't come back, that's his. If he put it in the bank, it's still the king's part of his inheritance but if the king doesn't come back he sneaks out to the field digs it up and he is rich see what I'm saying to you is that when we pray your kingdom come we're praying would you come and reign vanquish the kings of my life and become the king of my life and give me a vision that you are coming back you're coming back Jesus is coming back to establish in a visible way his reign over all of creation. That's not the end of things. That's the beginning of the things, the new heavens and the new earths. And for those of us that know this Christ, that he is the lover of our soul, we know his voice, we know his face, we know his words, we know his presence, we know these experiences because we've stepped into the divine. We long for that day when he returns, when he will bring back the renewal of all things and see those of us that know that, we are free to live in the knowledge that he has given us things to invest in now, to live in the reality that he's returning, to live free. When I went to go get my hair cut this week, I picked up um, this magazine. I'm not sure what it was, but it had a story in there of the guy who founded Tom's Shoes. Are they called Tom Toms or Toms or Toms? Okay. Y'all know who his name is? What's his name is? That's it. 
Blank McCoskey, okay? Now, here's what's amazing about this guy is that he lives on a boat in, in Manoray, right? Or something like that when he's in town. But he travels like, you know, three weeks out of every month, giving away shoes, changing kids' lives. Because every shoe they sell, they give a shoe away to a kid in a third world country that doesn't have shoes. That's their business philosophy. And they've been able to give away, I think, 600,000 shoes to kids in third world countries. And in this article, he was just talking about the freedom he has to live his life. And I was just, I was just, it was just so attractive to, to read the story of this guy's life because he's just free to invest. And he's even given himself the freedom of a failure. It's just a beautiful picture. But here's what's interesting is he is a college dropout. But when he dropped out of college, he spent a year educating himself on business by reading as many biographies on successful businessmen that he could get his hands on. And he started listing. He listed like 50 of them in the article. He had given himself over to take this fire that had been put inside of him and learn how to fan it into a flame and live out of the passion of it. How much so for us? That we live for his pleasure. That he's working through us. We prepare for the coming kingdom by living in it now. According to his teachings, his gifts, his presence with us by the Holy Spirit. Let me read this last thing and then I'm through. This is from J.I. Packer. Theologian that I admire. The kingdom arrived with Jesus. Indeed, one might say that as a son of God incarnate, Jesus is the kingdom of God in person. He rules over Christians in regal in the full-blooded biblical sense, personal, direct, and absolute. His claims are the claims of God, overriding those of men. Yet his rule is not tyranny, for King Jesus is his people's servant, their shepherd and their champion, ordering, ordering all things for their protection and enrichment. For it's him that said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I have two questions I want to ask you tonight, and we're going to stop for a minute and pray. That is, uh, would you dare to let him reign over you? We're going to take a moment here. I'm going to ask you, what kings in your life rule you? Is it the king that says, I'm the great shepherd of your soul? That he's come to wash our feet and call us into the kingdom dynamic of the one who loves us? Are there other kings that have snuck in? And then the second thing I'm going to ask you is, would you dare to believe that you can live your life and the freedom that he's coming back? And seek first the kingdom of God. So I don't know what the Holy Spirit's teaching you right now. All right? He does his thing. He's got his little mojo. And I know he's working it. So let's be still for a minute. And uh, let's just listen. You got a pen? You might want to write down what the Lord is showing you. But let's consider it. Lord, as we stop now and ask, Thy kingdom come. Let your kingdom come in us. Reign over us, Lord. Do the paradigm shift. Turn what we hold on to onto its head and reveal to us, Lord, are there kings in our lives, even now, that are not of you, that are taking from us, that are robbing the very life that you promise us? 
Lord, uh, send your Holy Spirit to reveal that to us right now so that we can put those kings down and repent of loving them. And now, Jesus, we pray that you'd show us your beauty. That you would show us the beauty that we would see you and we would jump. That we would see you and long for that day when you would return. But in the meantime, live like free people that dare to dream, that dare to invest our lives in ways that are outrageous, that dares to walk away from the small fear living of our small fearful kings and to the wonderfulness of your kingdom.